This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. All right, guys, today we're going to be talking about America's biggest and most prolific serial killer. And unfortunately, most of you are not even going to know that this story even existed. And that's part of the reason why we're doing this podcast today. So this podcast is going to be centering around a movie that is coming out. If you're listening to this at the time of release, it's coming out tomorrow. It is coming out Friday, October the 12th, and the movie is called Gosnell. And so I'm going to get into all the details about this movie and how the movie came to be. But this is a movie that was made around who should we should all consider to be the largest serial killer in the history of the United States, and that is Dr. Kermit Gosnell. And so here's the thing. I'm going to kind of give you a little bit of a summary of the story, but uh, Gosnell the movie is going to be, it was based on a book about Gosnell and, and there's a whole lot of details in the movie and just like scores and scores of details in the book that led to the movie and all these different things. I'm not going to give you too much of the information because obviously I'm going to want you to see this movie and we're going to talk more about it, I promise. And so I'm not going to take too much of the sting out of all of that. Uh, but you know, what happened in this case is not the biggest spoiler in the world. Because this case uh, went down a few years ago. Like, I think a lot of people have been made aware of this, but some of you, this is going to be new news to you. So, again, not going to be going into all the different details. We'll save a little bit for for you. But anyway, this is about Dr. Kermit Gosnell, who was the owner and operator of Women's Medical Society Clinic in Philadelphia. And so, this is a guy who had kind of a checkered past and even how he got into um, the, got his doctorate and, you know, became a medical doctor and those different things. Like, but this was a guy that was basically owning and operating an abortion clinic in a, you know, rundown area of Philadelphia. He almost exclusively did abortions. So many of the abortions that Dr. Gosnell did uh, were late term abortions. So third trimester abortions. A lot of them were illegal. You were not uh, at that time in Philadelphia or in Pennsylvania able to do abortions after the 24th week as if there's something magical about life at the 24th week, but we'll digress from that. Um, And many of the uh, abortions that he did were for lower class folks. And so uh, a lot of people that did not have a whole lot of money. But this guy, uh, in addition to making a killing off of abortions, uh, no pun intended there, he also made a killing off of running a prescription drug ring. Um, So what he would essentially do is he would have a bunch of different mules and a bunch of different people that would come to his abortion clinic and he would write them prescriptions for Oxycontin and Oxycodone and Percocet and, and all these other different opioids. And those people would end up going out to the streets and selling them. These were obviously not people that needed them. And to say that he was running a prescription drug ring, that's exactly what it was. This guy was basically a drug lord. He was making ten to $15,000 a night, a night off of this stuff because he had these people coming in and, you know, essentially they were just constantly coming in. He, he kept the doors open to his clinic seven days a week. And so he was running this prescription drug stuff all the time. Well, if you do that for long enough uh, and you pretty much don't change your flow, eventually it's going to catch up to you. So the DEA, the Drug Enforcement Administration, and also the Philadelphia police, they caught wind of this. And so uh, they were able to build a case up enough to where they could get a warrant to go and search Dr. Gosnell's his office where he was basically doing the things at his clinic. Right. And so they were basically going to surprise him. They were going to show up and they were going to raid the place and they were expecting to see uh, drug paraphernalia or maybe even dealers that were inside of there, uh, maybe backlogs of all this different uh, information of how he was getting the stuff out there. Maybe there would be a lot of pills there like that. They just didn't know exactly what they were going to see. But the officers involved in this raid that happened in early 2010 they literally could never have imagined what they were going to find. 
And so, obviously, the, the Joint Task Force, they, they bust in, and immediately, all of the officers are struck by this unbelievably pungent and disgusting smell. And, and it wasn't like it was just at the front door. The clinic smelled. It absolutely reeked. And so, uh, I'll kind of just give you the details that I can remember from reading the book and, and in the movie, but there, there was trash all over the place inside this clinic. Um, a lot of the ladies that came in there that were doing abortions, they were given medication and basically put on these dirty recliners. Most of the recliners had blood on them, dried blood, and they were basically left in that room to quote unquote recover, or they were left in that room before they went back for the procedure, before the, the, the murder in the womb. Um, but there was, there was food wrappings everywhere. There were cats that were just openly walking around inside of this medical facility. And, you know, it reeked of cat piss and, you know, cat crap and all these different things. Um, and so the place was just absolutely disheveled, right? And so they're going through and, and they're taking care of things. And I remember at one point when I was reading uh, Detective Wood, who was one of the main detectives in the story, uh, in you know basically in the history of what happened here, you know he saw the the state of the clinic. It was absolutely horrifying how disgusting it was. And they basically weren't going to stop Gosnell, who was actually in the process of doing an abortion in the back whenever they busted in. They, they basically checked with the health department or whoever they were checking with their superiors. And they said, no, 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 let him go ahead and do what he needs to do, which, you know, caught Detective Wood off guard, which as, as with anybody, it should. But it was just an incredibly crazy and crazy experience for most of these guys. But then probably the most disgusting and the most meaningful and impactful thing that happened from this raid was not what they found in terms of the drug ring. It was found in terms of basically what they saw about the abortions. Um, there were baby parts, right? No other way to say it. There were baby parts that were just in random places all over the office. So um, pretty much any time he would do an abortion, he would just kind of chuck the, the, the baby to the side. Or he would actually put it down the garbage disposal. Yeah, that, that actually happened. So just think through that and see how that makes you feel. But there would be babies in, you know, milk cartons that had the tops cut off. Uh, some were in bags that were just in, up against the wall. Some were just placed in the freezer, right? Like, so think you got a baby here and it was just, you know, killed and then chucked in the freezer, right? And so they just found all these things and it was just such a, such a weird, overwhelming thing for the guys that were doing this raid. But they also found these jars that were stuffed with baby feet. And and so just to give you the picture, imagine like a mason jar with a few dozen pairs of, you know, baby's feet in there. You know, Dr. Gosnell later said that he was keeping those for research of some kind, but essentially it's just because he was a lunatic and he was evil and, and those types of things. That's why he was keeping that. But uh, essentially this raid was the beginning of the end for Dr. Gosnell. They went in thinking it was going to be a drug charge and it came out uh, much, much different for Dr. Gosnell. So he pretty much almost immediately had his license suspended. Uh, so he wasn't able to practice medicine. Um, but then the grand jury report came out in May of that year. This raid took place in January, I believe, his license was suspended in February and then May of that year. Um, the grand jury report was released basically talking about a lot of different things. The first was the extent of his prescription drug pill business, kind of all the people that were involved, how they were involved, how they got their stuff, how they got the mules, how they got the product to the street, all of that. But also, there was a long history of the reported health violations. So as you can tell by how disgusting the clinic was, th there had to have been health, health violations galore. 
And they were able to find out through a lot of detective work and interviews and things like that, that he had been reported over and over and over. I mean, he was reported all the time for health violations. I mean, he had untrained staff. I mean, the staff basically had these color-coded sheets that would tell them exactly how much of what drug to give the women when they came in so that they could do the abortion procedures. These were not people with medical training. These were people that just basically spent five minutes or 10 minutes with Gosnell saying, hey, you put this here and this is how much of that you give them. And they just went on about their business. Uh, There was a lot of broken equipment in the facility. There was a lot of single use equipment that was used multiple times. This was a guy that was obviously, he was just seen as just a disgusting individual. I mean, whenever the the Raiders kind of came in and were going through the area, you know, Gosnell was just, you know, operating as he normally would. So I told you he was doing an abortion in the back whenever this was all going down. So after he was done with the abortion, he actually comes to, you know, some table where he was going to sit there and eat his dinner, right? And so he pulls out teriyaki chicken with the gloves that he had on during the procedure that he was doing. So he's got torn, you know, medical gloves with blood all over it. And here he is just pulling out boxes of Chinese food and he's just going to town eating with bloody hands, right? The dude was disgusting. And obviously his practice was very disgusting as well. So again, just the the long history reported health violations that, that went, you know, basically unreported or unsubstantiated or unfollowed up upon or whatever, but then also just the shady circumstances surrounding the abortion practices that was in the grand jury report as well. They found that, you know, there were plenty of late term abortions that he did. A lot of them were illegally after a certain date. He was actually manipulating client files and, you know, ultrasounds and things like that to make the babies that he was killing appear smaller. He was actually saving these ultrasound photos that made the baby seem smaller so that if anybody looked into it, they wouldn't know that it was beyond that 24 week limit. Um, But one of the craziest things that they found out, which shouldn't matter, because as we know, and as I hope most of you would agree, abortion is murder. doesn't matter at what point during the process it happens. But one thing that ended up sealing the fate of Dr. Gosnell is that he had a very specific way that he liked to do abortions. If you're wondering about a lot of the different uh, types of abortions and how that happens, go back to episode six of this podcast. I go into a very, very... Uh, graphic detail on purpose as to the types of medical abortions that go on. But what Dr. Gosnell would like to do is he would like to actually induce birth. So these people that were in their third trimester, very, very super pregnant, some of these women, you know, going on nine months of being pregnant, he would give them medication or he would have his untrained staff give them medication that would cause them to give birth to the child. So the baby would be born alive. And then Dr. Gosnell would take his scissors and he would snip the backs of their necks. So basically, with scissors, he was separating their spine from their skull, from their head, right? He, he, was, he was separating them. <clears throat> That's how he would kill these kids. I mean, just let that sink in for a little bit. I mean, <clears throat> what in the world? Like, at some point, he was either taught this or he came up with that. Just, just insane. So uh, Gosnell was actually arrested in January of 2011. So this was obviously on the heels of the grand jury report and the grand jury report was released to the public. It was close to 300 pages in January of 11. And he was charged with eight counts of murder. Uh, And the prosecutors claimed that he killed seven babies in the way that I just described, that they were born alive, but then he snipped the, their spines um, with scissors. And the eighth count of murder was for 
Karnamaya Monger, who was a 41-year-old Bhutanese refugee that died on his watch. He apparently came in for an abortion. Things did not go well. Uh, He did not show the requisite amount of concern for her uh, whenever the ambulance showed up to try and help uh, with the kind of the disheveled nature of the facility. It ended up not working out, and Monger actually passed away. So again, I'm leaving out a lot of details here, but I want to talk to you a little bit about the trial because there's plenty of information out there about the trial. But when they went in, uh, before they even went went into the trial, the judge wanted to make sure that the prosecutors didn't make this case about abortion. Like they, they stressed that as much as they possibly could, that this is not a case about abortion. Like this is a case uh, about murder. But uh, again, in, in this very liberal state, in this very liberal city, they didn't want to have an abortion doctor be seen as a monster for doing abortions. They wanted him to be seen as a monster if he was killing babies after they were out of the womb. Again, as if that makes any damn difference. But the defense attorneys basically tried from the very beginning to make this about racism, make this about abortion, like basically force the prosecutor's hands and say, no, this is actually about abortion. And and that's essentially where they tried to go. They, they took some pot shots uh, about this. They said, oh, it, you know, it's the, you know, the Catholic prosecutors and the Catholic detective obviously are just trying to uh, prevent this doctor from providing health care for women and blah, 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 and all that nonsense. But that's essentially what they did. The prosecutors came in and tried to make the trial about facts, which, uh, you know, duh, if you have facts on your side, it should work out. I mean, go back to one podcast ago. Facts don't care about your feelings. That's what all these should be like. But again, you know, there's always going to be some theatrics with the defense attorneys and whatnot. But during the entire trial, this really should have been a gigantic national news story. I mean, just think about in your community. So whether you're listening to this in a major metropolitan area or a tiny town with one stoplight, right? If somebody in your community had beheaded seven people, right? Or slit their throats. Don't, don't you think we would have heard about that? I mean, think about the serial killers that you know by name, right? Ted Bundy, John Wayne Gacy, like, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer, like we just know these names are synonymous with culture now. But imagine if somebody went on a spree where they were literally chopping heads off or or slitting throats in the United States, right? If that happens over in the Middle East, we just kind of move on with our day, right? But if it happened here, that would be major news, right? Especially if someone did that in like a daycare, you know, kill children that way. It would be unbelievably heinous, right? But, it, but essentially from the very, very beginning, the media wanted nothing to do with this story. Nothing at all. So uh, even the prosecutor's office, they were so prepared. They, they were going out of their way to prepare the, the lawyers for just the circus they thought it was going to be with the media. Only to basically arrive the first day of the trial and there was no media to be found. And I mean like none, right? There, there was actually a picture that was made pretty famous. Uh, it shouldn't have been taken, but you know, there was someone who snapped a picture of the rows of the courtroom that had been reserved for the press and, and it wasn't even taken seriously. Like, I mean, nobody was there. Like you could see every single one of the signs because there wasn't a single person of the media that was there, right? So, so here's this gigantic story about this serial killer and nobody knew about it. So it was nothing short of media malpractice, right? We, we can all kind of agree on that. And again, without giving away too much, if you don't know about the story, it basically took a little bit of prompting and a little bit of grassroots uh, outrage for the media to all of a sudden be like, oh, okay, well, I guess this is actually a story, right? So a bit ridiculous, but the trial basically carried on. Gosnell actually never took the stand. Uh, he was apparently, he just 
smiled a lot and talked a lot and greeted everybody and he just had this very this warmth about him the entire time and again his defense attorneys were were trying to make this about abortion and say that that's what this was going on but there were some very interesting things that happened in the trial but and, and really I think the movie does a fantastic job of of going into all that but I do want to point out one thing that happened during this trial now um the person that is depicted doing this in the movie is not actually the person that did this in real life, but you essentially get the same, the same effect, right? You know, a lot of things in the movie were for theatrical purposes, but I'll digress just a little bit. Essentially there was an abortion doctor that was brought on to, you know, basically to up to testify about the the process of abortion and how they would normally do it and those types of things. And in the movie, I believe the number that was cited is, you know, the defense attorney asked her, how many abortions have you, have you provided? And this woman said like 40,000. This is a single doctor guys. A single doctor said that she had performed 40,000 abortions. And and she just said it as if she was giving you baseball statistics, right? I mean, that, that was it. Right. Like she was telling me how many home runs the team hit last year. Right. That that was just kind of the thing that it was. But it, it, it sent a chill through through the courtroom. You know, the, the jury was very uncomfortable with that number. Even the people that were looking on, they were very uncomfortable with that number. Now, a lot of them probably couldn't tell you why, but maybe it's because there was a little bit of reality brought into a situation that most people just basically use euphemisms with. 40,000, one person ended 40,000 lives. And amazingly, this person wasn't on trial, but again, I guess we'll have to digress from that a little bit as well. But to kind of fast forward you through a lot of the theatrics and different things that had happened during the trial, on May 13th of 2013, the jury convicted Gosnell of three counts of murder uh, one count of involuntary manslaughter, and there were just a plethora of other lower counts that he was convicted on. One day later, May 14th, he waived all future rights of appeal so that he could avoid the death penalty. And then one day later on May 15th, he was sentenced to life in prison. I think there were, you know, three counts of murder. He got three life sentences that were supposed to be served concurrently. And so um, he is obviously he's still in prison in Pennsylvania. Um, he is not really visited by his family. He's kind of alone, but this is a guy who, who really, even to this day, maintains his innocence. He maintains that he was just helping out poor people in his community. And he thinks that at some point in the future, he will be vindicated, that he will be able to rise above this oppression. So now let's move on to the movie. So the movie and how it, how it came to be, it's a long story, but I'll try to give you the high points of it. Back in 2014, the filmmakers Anne McElhaney, Philem McAllier, and Magdalena, I think it's Sigaida, sorry, they announced that they'd be making a film about Gosnell. And so Nick Searcy would direct the film, John Sullivan would be the executive producer, and Andrew Clavin, who you might know from The Daily Wire, he would actually write the screenplay. And so the interesting thing about a movie like this is, as you can imagine... No Hollywood studios wanted to go anywhere near a movie that depicted abortion in a negative light. Obviously, people that align with the political left uh, and elitists, you know, people that you would assume would be in Hollywood, they don't ever want to have any type of even accidental pro-life message. That would not be something that they would want to do. It would cut against one of their favorite things, which is apparently killing babies in the womb. And so this movie had to be crowdfunded. And with most crowdfunding or crowdsourcing campaigns, it's kind of a crapshoot. 
I mean, for every, you know, fun story about how something was crowdsourced and now a billion people own this particular product or something, so or so forth, like, there's always these stories of people setting up this crowdfunding and then they get like 17 cents, you know, it's just like they got nothing. And so, but this movie, I think it actually set the record, I'm not exactly sure, but it, it crowdfunded $2.3 million to make this movie. $2.3 million. Now, that's shoestring compared to what some big box office Hollywood films are, but for an independent film, that that's a that's a pretty substantial budget, right? And so they were able to get Earl Billings uh, to star as Dr. Kermit Gosnell and Dean Cain to play Detective James Wood, who uh, plays a large role in the actual case, but in the story as well. And so to coincide with the movie, the filmmakers wrote Gosnell: The Untold Story of America's Most Prolific Serial Killer. It was a book that was released in 2017, and it became a best seller almost immediately. Um, I just finished it last night, the book. So I was kind of reading this as I was going through and researching. I mean, it's some of the most horrifying stuff you've ever seen guys. Like, you know, maybe someday on a different podcast, I'll be able to get into some of the exact content that, uh, that was so abhorrent, but I mean, it's appalling. It's absolutely appalling what this guy was able to get away with for so long. I mean, there's so much, so much detail in this book. So obviously I want you to read that, but it was announced in, um, June of this year, so June of 2018, that there would actually be a distribution deal for this movie, which was incredibly surprising. Even the people that that made the movie, even the people that got it crowdfunded, you would think that they would have a really, really hard time getting a distribution deal, which I'm sure they did. But this is going to be released to 750 theaters. Now, I don't know, I don't claim to know a whole lot about the film industry, but obviously, if it does incredibly well for the first weekend at those 750 theaters, it's probably going to expand from there. There's probably going to be even more theaters that come on board because everybody wants to make money, even if it's off of a film that they don't really agree with, right? But at the same token, if it's an absolute flop, you can expect it to drop pretty precipitously from that 750 theaters, right? It may just be like a one weekend showing in some places, but... Here's the thing about the movie that I found really interesting is as soon as I found out that this movie was going to be made, I was excited about it. This was before I even started reading the book. And so I had been following their Facebook page and following a lot of different details about the movie, you know, who was going to be starring and, you know, how it was going to be released and, oh, the trailer just came out and those types of things. But um, I figured that I was just going to have to try to find the screening on my own or, you know, hopefully because I'm in Oklahoma City, like hopefully you know, it would be shown here in my market because I did know that there were large portions of the movie that were shot in Oklahoma City in Guthrie, which is a town literally 10 minutes north of my house. Right. And so I was, I knew that. And I knew that I had, had a buddy that had a kid that was, you know, an extra in the movie and I knew all this stuff, but I just assumed I was going to have to watch this movie on my own. Now I'm driving out to, to go to a friend's house uh, a few weeks ago and I get a call from a buddy of mine. It's just a, a random phone call from a good buddy of mine from college named Matt Grassmeyer. And it was actually his baby that is one of the extras in the film. And he was just basically like, I mean, it was a text, not a call. He just texted me and was like, Hey, you know, have you heard of this Gosnell movie? Like, what are your thoughts on it? I think it'd be a great podcast for you to do. And I, he had probably assumed I had never heard of it, but I had indeed heard of the movie and I was excited for it and all those different things. And I was like, yeah, I've heard of it. I would, I would love to see it uh, before it comes out so I could help. But you know, I don't really know a way to do it. Well, you know, lo and behold, this guy, you know, having his baby be in the film and everything. They had a connection with one of the producers. And so they ended up getting my wife and I a ticket to a private screening that happened in Oklahoma City a couple of weeks ago. And so this was several weeks before the national release. But I thought this was going to be a great opportunity. I was so excited. So again, Matt Grassmeyer, shout out to you, man. Thanks a whole lot. I really, really appreciate you getting this connected for me. But I really wanted to see 
how this independent film would come through. Because you guys know, like, especially if you've seen independent, like, Christian films, which this is not. But if you've seen those things, like, the acting is so bad. the They try to do special effects, but it's just goofy and terrible. And you would just been like, man, I would have much rather just read a book instead of watch this terrible, crappy movie. But I got to say, I was really blown away by this movie. Um Again, there are certain parts of the film where you're like, okay, that feels a little bit low budget, but those were very, very few. I had very few times where I was like, ah, that was a little bit weird. All right. That was a little bit of overacting. And for the budget that they had to produce the film that they did, I felt like it was, it was fairly substantial. Uh, again, like I said earlier, they had changed some, some details from what happened in the actual trial and as you know, shown in the book to make it a little bit more palatable for the screen. So as, as a, for instance, the main, uh, prosecuting attorney, um, in the film, it depicts one gal, but in real life, there were basically three individuals that were all kind of doing it at the same time, which, you know, not a huge deal for theatrical purposes. It made sense for them to do that. But guys, it was it was a very moving and very, very powerfully done movie. Because here's the thing is when you know the ending, it's kind of hard to, to move people emotionally, right? Um, and I won't really give you the portion of of the movie because I, I think you'll get it whenever you watch it. But, you know, you know what? I'll, I'll go ahead and describe it to you. So there's a point in the trial where they actually show the jurors uh, a picture of one of the babies that was murdered. So this was one of the babies that they were bringing up on charges of, for Gosnell of murder, right? And this was referred to as baby A or baby boy A. And so in the movie, they don't actually show the picture. They, they don't actually show the picture of baby boy A. But I had seen the picture before I went and saw this movie. And it is terrifying. And as you could probably expect, yes, I'm going to give you a link to some of these pictures because I don't want to sterilize what you're going to see. I don't want to sterilize it in your imagination because even in your imagination, it's far, far worse what the reality was. And I remember being so consumed during that portion of the movie with righteous, indignant anger, just absolutely furious. And it it was even hard for me to kind of control my emotions. I'm just sitting there in the theater and I'm just like, oh, like I was so fired up because I had seen what Gosnell did to this boy. And how it was depicted in the film, you know, you're just waiting for the, the picture to show up on the screen, but they didn't, they, they, they didn't do that. But just, yes, just a very, very powerful movie. Uh, McElhaney was there. Also, uh, the executive director, John Sullivan was there. And so they addressed the crowd, took some Q and a, uh, you know, there was nothing really to report from the Q and a after the film, but they, they stuck around later and, you know, took pictures and shook hands and stuff like that. But before I left, I made sure that I I talked to John Sullivan, the executive director, and I I told him that I was going to be doing a podcast episode about this. And I just wanted to ask him, you know, what would you want mentioned? Right. Because I'm going to give my own opinions. I'm not going to let you just you know speak for me. But what would you want me to make sure I got across to my audience? And this is what he told me. He said, most people think this movie is going to be incredibly graphic. And obviously, you just watched this movie. It's not incredibly graphic. If you could make sure people know that this is you know, family friendly within reason, it's about a very important and serious topic. But as long as you can explain that, you know, I think that that would be a good service to us. And so that's what I wanted to pass on to y'all from John Sullivan, that this is a movie that you can take your kids to. Now, you probably don't want to take your six and seven year olds to. It's going to open you up to a lot of conversations that you're perhaps not quite ready to have. You might be, but perhaps not. But it's certainly age appropriate for, you know, 11, 12 year olds, teenagers and things like that. 
there there's really no uh, graphic there's really nothing graphic in this film whatsoever so uh, I wanted to make sure to pass that on to you guys but when when thinking through this book and through this movie um, I just kept being struck with with why this this story is important and I came up with with a few things that I basically wanted to share with y'all and the first thing is that just most people don't know about this story I mean even think you know about 30 minutes ago when you started this podcast did you know Kermit Gosnell. If you say Gosnell, do, do people automatically react? Because I got to tell you, whenever I told people I went and saw the screening of the movie Gosnell, they're like, what's that? Right? I mean, that's not exactly a common last name, but no one really knew who I was talking about. And then whenever I would describe it, no one was like, oh yeah, I remember hearing about that a few years ago. And, and there's really a good reason for it because the media is kind of still covering it up. I mean, there's a lot of media so- resources and, and outlets that would love nothing more for than this movie to just go away to just not be a part of the general discussion. I mean, there were several stories, and I'll just give you a few of them. Uh, here recently, The Federalist r- reported that Facebook was actually suppressing ads that were being purchased by the Gosnell Movie Facebook page. Suppressing the ads. Right here we are, we're supposed to be worried about Russian bots influencing the election, and here we have a supposed, a supposed neutral arbiter, you know, a provider of a service that is actually covering up these ads, right? You may have heard the story about NPR. NPR, um, that the Gosnell movie people wanted to actually do a commercial on NPR, and they wanted to use the phraseology "abortion doctor" in reference to Doctor Gosnell because that's exactly what he was. And NPR would not accept the ad if it said "abortion doctor." They wanted it to say "Philadelphia doctor," as if that were specific enough, right? Let's lump all the Philly doctors into one little category, right? But the NPR would not let them, you know, come on with the ad that they wanted to put on there. Right. And and there were no exceptions. There was even a hotel um, that basically took the the Gosnell people's money and didn't allow them to do a screening. They were supposed to do a screening on the same night of kind of this big gala event by Planned Parenthood and Planned Parenthood being the, the angels that they are through a major hissy fit. And ended up getting the hotel to cave, which is kind of a new trend now that if you're on the left and and you complain enough and you scream enough and and you make a big enough ruckus, people are just going to be like, oh, okay, okay, we'll we'll drop them as as a sponsor. Okay, okay, okay. Well, like we won't do that again. We're so, so sorry. And this hotel did that. So they basically took the Gosnell people's money and didn't allow them to do the screening because of quote unquote security concerns. So that's the first thing is most people don't know this is even happening in the media. If they had it their way and these social media companies, they would keep it that way. But the second thing is, is that most people don't understand what abortion really is, y'all. Like, again, go back to episode six of this podcast. If you're if you haven't listened to that episode, listen to it right after you listen to this one. I go into strict detail. Most people don't have the foggiest flipping clue what happens during that procedure. They've gotten so lost in, you know, their blue candidate or their their favorite person who just thinks this should all be a choice and that it somehow has been wrapped up into women's health care while at the same time not realizing that 50% of the people killed during abortions are female, right? They forget that part, but they don't really understand what abortion is. And it kind of leads me to my third point, which is Gosnell is surely not the only Gosnell. Like, we we can't assume that this is a one-off. Like, that there's one abortion doctor in the entirety of the United States since Roe v. Wade that has figured out, hey, it's actually pretty easy if we just induce birth I mean, they're only going to be alive for a second. I'm just going to snip their neck or whatever they do, chop their head off completely. Who knows? Right? I mean, he can't be the only one. And guys, we need to snuff those other dudes out. 
And I'm not telling you go get your pitchforks and your shotguns and go go bust into abortion clinics. I am not saying to do that. Not saying to do that. But Gosnell surely had, could have been found out well before he was. Did it really take a prescription drug raid to make this happen? To figure out that this guy was doing that? Because here's the thing. is Some people are only outraged at how he killed them. Think about that. You want to talk about seared consciousness? Like, had these babies been killed in the womb, pre-vaginal canal, right? A lot of people would be like, oh, yeah, it's fine. It's fair. Woman's right to choose, I guess. But the fact is, is that the babies were outside of the mother's womb. They had passed the magical vaginal canal, and then they were killed. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, no, that's, that's one step too far, as if it's different. Most of these babies that Gosnell killed in late terms could have obviously been alive and been kept alive outside the womb. Some of them wouldn't have even required help of like a NICU or anything like that. So again, this story is incredibly important. People don't know about it. People don't understand abortion. We think that Gosnell is just kind of this one-off. I hope we continue to find out about these guys so we can stamp them out and get them eradicated. And guys, just this leads me into some big asks that I have for you. And the first ask is go see this movie. And I mean, see it this weekend. I really, really hope and pray that there are guys listening to this podcast on time. I know that some guys, you know, they're a few weeks behind or something like that. I'm going to do everything I can to get you guys to listen to this one on time because it is imperative that you go and listen to it this weekend. You got, you got, or not listen to it, but to go watch it this weekend. Because if you go watch it and if it does well, it'll stay in the theaters. If it stays in the theaters, more people will see it. If more people see it, more people will understand the story. This is easy. Like, this is easy math, guys. It's pretty linear at this point. And the second thing is if you're going to see it, take people with you. Don't be the solo movie guy. I've been that guy. Don't be that guy, right? At least take your spouse. Take your girlfriend. Take take somebody. If you're a gal, take your boyfriend. Who cares? Take other families with you. Take your Sunday school. Take your home group. Take your, uh, your softball team. Take people from work. Take them to go see this movie. Pay for their tickets. Make them pay for their tickets. Who gives a crap? But take other people to this. We got to make this movie as successful as we possibly can. The other thing is read the book. I mean, I know for some of you guys like, oh man, but I mean, you've been listening to this long enough. You, you should know that I don't really take excuses very easily, right? Get this book and read it. It's a very, very important book for you to read. You've got to understand really all the details. And the book goes into a lot of detail about what happened with this case and how they found it and all the other different things that I didn't even mention that were super evil that Gosnell did. And the last part is share the story. Guys, share this story. Share it on social media. Share it with your friends. Talk about it next time you're teaching Sunday school. Just share this story. People don't know about it. People can pick Ted Bundy out of a lineup, but they wouldn't even be able to identify Gosnell. Like this guy, okay, he was convicted for three murders. Realistically, he murdered tens of thousands. That was a point that I didn't really make earlier. These were not isolated incidents where there were these seven children that were born and then had their necks snipped. He did this thousands and thousands and thousands of times, right? This was his MO. This is just how he did it, right? So this story has to be told. This can't be something that we just brush under the rug or go see the movie and be like, oh, that was a good movie or, oh, I liked it or, yeah, I'd probably give it a, a thumbs up on, on Rotten Tomato or, you know, give it something like that. This has got to be something that that changes in us. We, we've got to share this thing around, guys. 
Alright guys, before I let you get out of here, we're going to do a quick resilience boost. As you know by now, we are a men's ministry and our mission is cultivating manly resilience. And specifically, we do that by providing content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical toughness. Today, we are going to be talking about... I guess we'll just call it mental resilience today because I'm going to give you a lot of different categories of things to look at. So what you'll find here in the links in order, you're going to find the movie website for the Gosnell movie. So that is going to have the trailer. It's going to have, you know, the the theaters that it's going to be running in. It's going to have some of the press. It's going to, it's just basically a good center point for that. And then I have a link to the YouTube of the official Gosnell trailer. So you can share that around. It's just an easier link for you to share. Also, there's a link on Amazon to the Gosnell book. Again, it's Gosnell, the untold story of America's most prolific serial killer. There's also uh, a link that if you don't click on any of these other links, I really want you to click on this one. It's called Kermit Gosnell's House of Horrors Images. So these are pictures from the inside of uh, basically when they did this raid. The pictures are incredibly graphic and don't be a pansy. Look at these pictures. Like preferably, I would like for you to look at these pictures before you go and see the movie. Like honestly, I, I would want you to have these images in your head while you're seeing the depiction of this act, of this this guy on film. I want you to be thinking about there was a human being that did this and didn't do it a couple of times, did it thousands of times. So don't skip out on that. Also, uh, I gave you a link to the Gosnell Facebook page. A lot of their uh, most recent updates and their most timely updates are on that. So if you're on Facebook, I would get on there and give the film a thumbs up. That'll certainly help them. And then also an article called Facebook Stifles Ads for Film on Abortion Monster Kermit Gosnell. So this is that Federalist thing I talked about earlier that's telling you a little bit of how they're trying to stamp all this out. Guys, as always, thank you so much for listening this far into the podcast. We really do appreciate it. If you would, please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Google Play and refer your friends to listen and share this on social media. If you use the hashtag on Daunted Life, we'll be sure to find your post and give it a thumbs up. Guys, if we deserve a five-star review, please go ahead and leave us one. We are still five-star reviewed. We really appreciate all the feedback, so continue giving that to us. I'm currently booking speaking engagements for the end of 2018 and the beginning of 2019. So if you want me to come speak to your Sunday school, to your team, to your event, whatever, hit me up, info at undaunted.life, info at undaunted.life. The website is www.undaunted.life, and you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at undauntedlife or facebook.com backslash undauntedlife. Check out our free devotionals on the YouVersion Bible app. Just search Undaunted Life under plans. And as always, we want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their entire music library for our content. The intro-outro track on this podcast is their song, King of Sorrow, which is off their latest record entitled Phantom Anthem. Links to all of this are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep cultivating manly resilience. Keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical toughness. Keep seeking the Lion of Judah. 